everybody. Welcome to Club Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. I'm Ephraim Ellis, and this week I am wearing blue jeans and a black and gray baseball shirt from the Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band 2016 The River Tour, which is one of the greatest concerts I've ever seen, despite the fact that a lady full-on poured a whole beer down my back and then laughed while apologizing to me for it. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band were a baseball team? I had no idea. And I am Chris Small. I am wearing a basketball shirt, the Toronto Raptors to be specific, and some gym shorts, and that's about it. I'm coming to you live from my bedroom, so this is my bedroom attire. I almost started getting into basketball last time that the Raps won the championship before the pandemic, but then the pandemic hit and I just felt weird watching any sports, even if it was on. Yeah, fair enough. You're just kind of like looking at it being like, you shouldn't be there. Why are you playing? It's like, this is fun and I like watching this game, but this is a bad idea. Why are we taking all of these risks? I remember when the UFC started up because it was one of the first major sports organizations, if not the first, to kind of come back and start doing shows during the pandemic and, you know, saying we've Mm. got all of these protocols in place. It's great. And you'd see the fighters at the press conference and doing the photo shoot two days before the fight where they've got masks and they're right next to each other and they're keeping their distance. But then two days later, they're bleeding and sweating on top of each other. So, I mean... So, would in that case, those masks and precautions be for the benefit of everybody else in the room taking the photos? Or just for optics? Because... Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> they Photoshop the masks on later. Oh, geez. But today we are not talking about the uh, Ultimate Fighting Championship basketball or baseball. We are talking about Bare Naked Ladies Are Men, which is a different record from Bare Naked Ladies Are Me. Or is it? I created a song for this occasion, if you'll indulge me. Please. It's been six months since they made Are Me. <laughs> Why didn't they put this into one CD? Oh, that's really, really good. That, that's all I got, though. That that bit has legs. I think we could workshop that. Released February 6th, 2007. So earlier on in the... Was it 2007? Wait, I want to double check that. Yep, 2007. Holy crap, you're right. Yeah, no, so it was six months later, but it was... Mm. See, this is bad, Chris. The fun thing you might want to know about me, I am meticulous about logging the release date on all of my MP3s. Just in case I want to like, oh, I want to listen to the 70s today. So I can just click the decade and do that. I had this logged as 2006, so shows me. No, that just ruins the whole library. Yep, made a huge, huge, terrible mistake. Released February 6th, 2007. The number one song in the Billboard Hot 100 that week was Irreplaceable by Beyonce. The number one song of 2007 was... Irreplaceable by Beyonce. That checks out. She started her domination. That's the second Beyonce song, I believe, that has been number one when Bare Naked Ladies have released an album. wonder how they feel about that. I'm sure they're fine. That is such a different area of music. Surely there's no shade there (laughs) from our boys onto Queen Bay. The number one song on the Canadian Billboard charts of 2007 was Apologize by One Republic and Timbaland. I do not remember that song at all. I remember One Republic released this song. Timbaland said, let me take you to bold new directions musically. He put in a drum machine. He featured himself in the music video and he just went, yeah, every 30 seconds. It was amazing and such lazy production, but it shot to the moon. Timbaland, you can do no wrong in this era. Did he get his his rapping R&B name from the, the brand of boots, Timberlands? Like name yourself like Gucci or something like that. Is it is that where that's going? I don't know. Gucci Mane was taken. So he's like, oh, what's the next fashionable brand that I can think of? Can't go with Versace. anything like that. Oh, I like that. I like, Chris, I like that you pointed this out. An honorable mention, though, on the Canadian Billboard charts of 2007, Window in the Skies by U2, which was originally released on the U2 18 singles best of compilation, which I just knew off the top of my head. There are no notes about that. So Window in the Skies spent eight weeks at the top of the Canadian singles charts. Despite the fact that it did not actually even make it to the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S. What? Super, super weird. It was number one on the adult contemporary chart, though, which now that I think about it does make a little bit of sense. That song does have a bit more of an adult alternative vibe to it. I guess like with the American Billboard charts, because their population is so big and they've got so many different demographics, just the way that they kind of compartmentalize their different charts and you've got like a different chart for each genre. It does make sense. But at the same time, U2 is such a massively popular band that you would think that like that song would even just make it like even crack the top 100. So it is kind of weird. 
weird. See, it might have had something to do with the fact that it was one of two new songs that were part of a compilation album. They were like the last two tracks on a new greatest hits album. So this is before they hijacked everyone's iPods and pissed a lot of people off, right? No, that was not the next record that came out. They the next record that came out did not do terribly well, which then led them to try to do that crazy, stupid stunt that destroyed all of the goodwill that they had. I just remember that there was when How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb came out, they released a special edition iPod that had like the U2 colors. And then I can just imagine the logic being like, well, everyone looked liked us being outside the iPod. Now we'll be inside the iPod. <laughs> Fun fact about that stupid publicity stunt that they did everyone was complaining about how it was automatically downloaded to their phones and their iPods. It didn't automatically download to my phone or iPod, and I was one of, like, I think the few people in the world that was looking forward to that present. I imagine you're sitting at your computer just, like, at the crack of dawn with your U2 shirt being like, it's U2 day, but it did not come to you. It's true. Yeah, like, the other new song on that compilation was a weird duet with Green Day that was vaguely based on the Saints Come Marching In. It was not, yeah, it wasn't great. But Window in the Skies, great single. Bare Naked Ladies Are Men, the album we're actually talking about. I guess this is... <laughs> this is not a YouTube podcast. This is not a YouTube podcast. That album, Bare Naked Ladies Are Men, reached number 39 in Canada and 102 in the US. I think Ooh. that makes sense. That's a bit brutal. As much as I'm sad about it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I think it was... Our Me was number seven in Canada and, like, number... 30 in the US, so it's a significant drop in both countries. But I mean, it's fatigue. Six months later, like... I, I think people didn't realize that they had put out another album, to be perfectly honest. I certainly didn't for a couple of years. I think I remember just being like, oh shit. Oh, so wait, so did you not pick this up during 2007? When did you when did you pick up this album? Probably like around 2009, 2010, because I remember when... The, oh, cool. The second time I saw them, because the first time was the Army tour when our men hadn't been released yet, but I'm pretty sure they still played Angry People in that first one. And I went, oh, this is a cool song. Maybe it's from an earlier album, maybe it's from a B-side, I don't know. And then they played it a second time. And I'm like, where is this song from? Because it's so featured that it's gotta be something. And then I did some digging and I'm like, there's a second album? I was not a very good fan back then. Uh, see, that, like, I was kind of in the opposite place in my being a fan at that juncture because I picked up the advanced Canadian Starbucks release. Oh, that's right. Version of this album. Because apparently this was released three weeks prior to it landing in record stores as a just Starbucks release. Because at that time, Starbucks had like a little like selling magazines at the front of the grocery store. They had like a little like CD rack right where you're going to get your coffee. And I did not realize that is the only version of this album I had until we started doing this podcast because I had never heard the last four tracks of this album before. Oh, really? Nope. I thought that the official release of this album was the Canadian Starbucks release, which goes track one to track 12 and then just has winded up an easy tacked on to the end of it. Right. Uh, you know what? I was going to say you could have gotten away with those MP3 tags too because I'm like, if it was released three weeks before, maybe this was a 2006 release for you, but... Still January 2007. Oh, the math doesn't work out, curse you mathematics. I tried to give you an out, but... <sighs> Terrible. Critically, this album was praised quite more than Our Me. A lot of publications saying it sounded a lot more upbeat. I'm inclined to agree. Chris, what do you think? 100%. So here's a funny story, and I'm sure listeners will probably maybe pick up on this who listened to Our Me episode. I was severely hungover when we recorded that episode, and my energy could not have been lower. Today, I am feeling fresh. I'm feeling upbeat. I'm doing quite well. And to me, that is pretty much these albums in a nutshell. I think that Our Me was a hangover and Our Men is just this nice upbeat. You've had a nice big day of rest and you're ready to tackle the world. I really enjoy Our Men. I think it does have a much more upbeat sensibility and I can't wait to get into the tracks. I wouldn't say that it's in my top five, but I would say that compared to Our Me, this was a really nice breath of fresh air listening to something throughout the week that just kind of made me feel like it was classic Bare Naked Ladies. Chris, I really really, really appreciate your commitment to the bit for these two records. Saying, ah, what would be a good metaphor for my reaction to these two albums? I'll be hung over for the first episode. I'd like to think that was a choice you made. You know what, Ephraim? You are very kind. That's right. I got blind stinking drunk the day before because I am a professional recorder. Professional recorder isn't even a thing. That's someone who just plays the recorder. I am a professional podcaster. And I said, you know what? 
what would be good for this album I don't like, getting really drunk. It was just because it made you so depressed, the like lower level of quality. Yes, exactly. That you had to go out and get get smashed. Uh, I, on the other hand, for that episode, and I have not edited it yet, so I'm excited to hear exactly how this is. So you were hungover. I became increasingly hangry over the course of that episode because I had had an early lunch that day and I hadn't had dinner yet. By about halfway through, I was like, oh no, this record could end any second now. (laughs) Please. Yeah, I I really, really like Men better than me. Yeah. It sounds, it's got so much more energy. It flows together a lot more easily. The sequencing feels really, really good. Despite the fact that this album had no released charting singles, I think there's more singles on this album as well. Yeah, it's true. I think that, I don't know, I I put down that if I was thinking of singles for this album, because again, yeah, no official ones, uh, but there mm-hmm. are so many ones that would have been so much better than the singles that were for ARMY. I mean, I did like Wind It Up from ARMY, but I mean, Angry People just seems like it should be a single. I also really like Something You'll Never Find was also a pretty good one. Were there any tracks that kind of stood out to you as something that you think could be a single? I think Why Say Anything Nice would have been one of the best singles they've ever put out had they decided to put it out as a single, but they didn't. Yet again, also like Wind It Up, last track of the album as well. Real Weird yeah. choices. And I, I'm not, I, I don't know whether Down to Earth and maybe not could have been released as singles, but those were definitely the two like singles of my heart when I was first listening to this record. Those 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 two by far were the two like standout tracks for me listening to it. And they feel just really, really hooky and poppy and and uh catchy yeah damn me from the singles of my heart what a if we ever start a band me being the professional recorder player and you can uh play an instrument that complements the recorder singles of my heart is going to be the name of our debut song i really really like this i think that concept has legs as well when we start this band together our lead-off single will be singles of my heart followed by the b-side it's been one week since we did our me do you want to get into the do you want to get into the tracks? Yeah, I reckon so. So track 1, Serendipity. I really, really like this song. It's got this kind of like trippy kind of 60s kind of feeling to it, which I really, really dig. Kevin sounds like at the top of his game vocally. Absolutely. On this track as well. And I think it's it's, it's a really cool, uh, bold choice that they made giving Kevin the lead off track as well. Yeah, it's the first album that they've released that someone other than Stephen Ed kicks off the album. And I think that's really cool. I think the fact that Adrift was originally supported supposed to be for Kevin, or at least Kevin co-wrote it, which was the opener for Our Me, and now they kind of course-corrected that with Serendipity as the opening track. I've gone on record saying that Vanishing is my favorite track by Kevin, but I actually very much have changed my tune. Serendipity is my favorite Kevin Hearn track. It's so good. I agree with you about that kind of wonky 60s kind of psychedelic uh, backbeat, and they're back to strong openers. Mm-hmm. Like, Kevin's falsetto on this track is really, really good. The line making room and to fill like that falsetto bit killer absolutely fantastic yeah i think this is my new favorite kevin track as well but vanishing was more memorable yeah it's true not to listen to it it's more memorable but like looking at these two cds on my shelf i remembered that vanishing was a song i forgot the serendipity was a song yeah, true. I also do love that the underlying narrative of our podcast over the few episodes has been like the Kevin Hearn appreciation station. <laughs> it just continues to build our fandom for this one specific member of BNL. My my opinion of that beautiful man just goes up and up and up with every subsequent release, especially because I feel like he he they, they give him more responsibility and like more duties in the band as each subsequent record is released. And he just steps up every single time. He really does. I feel like they should be careful, though, because, you know, after the fate of their last keyboardist, R.I.P., they have to make sure that R.I.P. They have to make sure that, uh, you know, he doesn't get too burnt out. But Uh, this was a nice this was a really nice opener. I really enjoyed it. I still miss Andy Cregan, but Kevin Hearn is fantastic. Also, Andy Cregan is fine. (laughs) I I also I, I don't know why the the weird Dairy Queen joke saying the blizzard in between because he's talking about weather but a blizzard is also a dairy queen confection i like 
like it. It's pretty good. Track two, something that you'll never find. is the second track with this weird trippy kind of 60s feel to it to me. I feel like that makes sense because this was coming off of them doing that Stratford Show soundtrack, mm. which was specifically As You Like It, but done with a bunch of hippies in the forest. So it had this really like 60s kind of tone to it. So I feel like they're still kind of in that headspace and you can hear a lot of that on, on this record. Mm, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I really enjoy this song a lot. You know, the lyrics point to a bad relationship with an idealized version of the protagonist in the partner's head, which is really good. I mean, you're looking for someone I'll never be. And then they just get into weird nonsensical lyrics as they're prone to do like he goes into a whole chorus about indiana and then it ends with indians eat bananas thinking they're full of vitamin c what is it not indianans uh you know it probably is but it doesn't scan as easily and he like obviously that whole section is just nonsense right it has nothing to do with the rest of the song it needed to come in at 15 seconds longer so he just decided to tack something on in the middle but that would make sense if maybe this was being released as a single and they're like oh wait no we have to get it up to 305 we need to add another 20 seconds ah steve write another verse right now over in indiana what rhymes with indiana bandana What's one of the longest places names I can think of? Indiana. Four syllables. Boom. Let's do it. I also do like that with it being the story about someone maybe leaving Steve the speaker because they aren't in love with them and they want to try to find like their true love instead and Steve isn't their true love. I do like that in the middle of it, the line, could you be the one who will find that it's fine if it's not in me? So he's kind of like, he's cool with it. Like, he understands. Yeah. Like, I appreciate that perspective. Like, it's not, he's not angry that this person has these feelings. Like, no, he accepts it. I think that's nice. It's not sad boy page. It's mature boy page. Yes, that's absolutely true. He's having a, like a like a nice, even keeled emotional reaction to this to the end of this relationship. And I think that's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh, no segues this time. Not a single one yet. That's a segue in itself. I got nothing. Uh, maybe by the end of this show, I will have thought of one and only segue track three one and only you beautiful bastard ah oh, see you can't you can't force that sort of stuff it just gotta let it come naturally i really like the lyrics of this song oh i had a feeling you would yeah when I say you're a country boy, that's not what I mean at all. I mean, you are a fan who enjoys country. You're a fan of country and folk music. And to me, this is a full on country banger. I mean, the lyrics you talk about, I'm lost and lonely. It's just a full on country ballad in my mind. And that's really the only opinion I have about the song. I like it. So I'd love for you to kind of expand on what you think. So actually picking up on your predicted opinion for me. So this does feel like a classic acoustic Ed Robertson song, which are the isolated country bangers in a amongst all of the traditional BNL stuff. And those do regularly happen to be my favorite songs. This one doesn't really jump out at me. It's like, I don't know you at all. Like it, it's pretty good, but it's got all the stuff that I normally love in a Bare Naked Lady song, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel memorable to me. And I don't know why. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. I do like in the lyrics, kind of like the central title, double entendre. He's the one and only of like his partner, but he is feeling alone and he's going through some stuff and he feels alone alone and is therefore one and only all by himself and is looking for that kind of emotional help from his partner and is not necessarily getting it. So yeah, I like that wordplay, but in general, the song doesn't really stick with me. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's good, but I think exactly what you said. It ticks all the boxes, but the boxes have had much bigger and stronger check marks in previous songs so this one is it's good but he's done this shtick and i say shtick in the most positive and like respectful way yeah this is this is one of my this is like my favorite classic ed robertson shtick yes but at the same time yes he's done that shtick not not better because again this is a a well done song but just more memorable so I, i tend to agree with you and i feel like the band has as well and that kind of i don't know yeah you saying that there's a lot of boxes being checked on this album and our me as well like they check all of the boxes they normally check it's just they've done it better before yes yeah yeah mm. i'm not too upset about it unlike a lot of angry people angry people get so sanctimonious telling us what to do ha, ha. that's good stuff oh thanks buddy 
when it comes to contrasting kind of like the feeling of the song and the content of the lyrics, I feel like this is in like the alcohol territory of it being like yes. a really like super upbeat song about something really freaking sad. Yeah, very true. And this is, I, again, I touched on it in the intro, but saw this song played twice by Steve and it was probably one of the best performed song both nights. It was in the middle of the concert. So, you know, that actually really important part where, you know, you start off strong, you could lose an audience if you don't have, you know, that kind of mid concert lift. And this was always in that period. And like it full on got a huge reaction. And I, I really like it. I, I wonder if it felt like that in a performance because because I don't know there's something about angry people and running out of ink that feel like they're more personal songs mm. it's not necessarily like Steve and Ed writing a generic love song about characters or anything angry people and running out of ink really feel like they're kind of writing about themselves from their own perspectives 100% I mean I this know. song has yeah. this song is so personal to Steven the background of it oh t- uh, tell me I don't I don't know any of the history of that tell t- tell me more please so a Apparently, a lot of people have said around the time of writing of these two albums, Steve launched a blog, just kind of being like, all right, here we go. It's my personal thing. And in all of the comment sections, he got blasted because everything to everyone was interpreted by a lot of people as a very political album. Oh, just they wait until these two come out. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Spoiler alert for like the back half of this record, but geez. Man, when we did, when we did everything to everyone, and I really like that album, I've listened to it a lot. I actually, maybe it's just because I'm tone deaf or maybe because we didn't grow up in America where the political landscape was so different. But then again, neither did the Bare Naked Ladies. Mm -hmm. I know that they live there now, but it, it didn't seem very political to me, everything to everyone. Like the war on drugs was a, was a political song about mental health and pharmaceuticals, but like not even that. Like they were saying, oh, second best is apparently like a biting commentary about America, all these other things. And I didn't really relate to that, but a lot of people did. So Steve wrote this song in direct relation to that kind of saying, you know, angry people, specifically the lyric, I am the singer in the band. We're only trying to lend a hand. I feel lends credence to this. Like he's just like, listen, I'm a singer in a band. If we're getting political, it's because we want to spread those messages. But people just wanted them to sing about craft dinner and rap about Kurosawa, huh. I guess. Yeah. And I wonder if that's maybe one of the reasons they kind of doubled down on the political content for the Are Me, Are Men duology, because there's like a bunch of songs about George W. Bush on those two records. Well, that lends credence to Stephen Page's very last blog post ever, which was just, fuck you. That's not true. You, you had me going there. I would have believed you. Had you had you had said, no, that is true. I would have believed you. Why didn't they get upset about Maroon? There's some anti-American, well, not anti-American, but at least, you know, like critical of Western imperialism sort of stuff on Maroon too. But sounds like they didn't make a stink there. It's weird. Yeah, I think Maroon was this weird phenomenon where we spoke about it in that episode that it's almost like they predicted the war in Iraq. So mm. rather than people getting angry, they're just like, are these people psychic? Like it was more just a mystified kind of thing. But yeah. That's really interesting knowing that backstory because I was interpreting it that Steve was one of the angry people. Okay. Because we know that, you know, he's had some emotional problems in his life. So I wasn't sure if this was him talking about that and like similar to Bull in a China Shop, mm. him like being upset with with himself, you know, saying that, you know, they just drag you down. Like, I thought he was saying that he was dragging other people down by not being in control of his emotions. Uh, so that's good to know that he's, he's not just being down on himself again. He's being down on everyone else. I was about to say, it's not great to hear that other people were being down on him because that's not fair. That's not cool, but okay, cool. I like that song a lot better hearing that backstory. That's really cool. Track five, Down to Earth. I love this song. It is so freaking catchy. The drums are amazing. Kevin's keys are so simple, but that just that constant wee-oo, wee-oo, like it's so catchy. It's so good. I love it. This is the only track from the Army Our Men duology that made it onto my Ephraim's year-end mixtape. Oh, okay. This was the song I put on my like 2007 mixtape. Down to Earth was definitely the standout track on this record to 22-year-old Ephraim. I am so glad when we have these agreements because this is by far my favorite song on the album. It is so good. Yeah! 
<laughs> friends having mutual opinions. I love it when we don't fight, Chris. Oh, man. We talk about the editing oh. of these podcasts. About 50 minutes of it is just tension and animosity that you guys can't hear. We leave it on the cutting room floor. The drums are amazing. The harmonies are amazing in this song. And, you know, mm. it's kind of sad. Spoiler alert. One of the last songs that will hear those harmonies, unfortunately. Yeah. And also, what's more ironic than a hippie in Versace is such a good lyric. So, such a good lyric. I love it. The way that I interpret it, it's kind of obsessed with the idea of celebrity or the idealization of a character on TV, which is funny because there's been like two songs about idealization so far in this album. That's the way I look at it. Oh, so far? Yeah, I guess just like the, I guess in terms of something you'll never find, it's not them idealizing, but oh, it's yeah. just- Yeah, 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 that makes sense. That's the way I interpret it. What uh, What are your thoughts? Oh, no, I agree completely. This just seems to be because like, yeah, it was like 2007 reality TV was like, in a bit of a boom. Mm, that's so true. Uh, back then, I feel like the Kardashians were just becoming a thing <gasps> around that period. So I feel like it's kind of talking about and putting a comment on that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's actually smart, like in terms of TV, but you're right. It did. Yeah. It does kind of line up with, I don't know, they're in their, what, fucking like 15th season. So that checks out. Yeah, that, that would be around that yeah. time. The Simple Life, all of those like, yeah, mid to, th mid to late 2000s was that time where like a lot of really vapid reality TV came out. So that lends credence. And I feel like because the band is getting a bit more political and they were doing, you know, like some work with charities and nonprofits and stuff like that during this time, I think maybe it's a, maybe it's a bit of a comment on maybe celebrity he's not doing that sort of thing yeah as well, that's true but i don't know yeah. yeah you could definitely interpret this as the argument for celebrity mm -hmm. as well also it's just so simple any song that has a hook where like the music fades away and it's just the lyric is great so the by a satellite it just oh it's so good it's so catchy oh it's so good it's so good and and just the line just so down to earth via satellite yeah. is so good like it it just paints the picture of that character who is just out there and above it all with celebrity it's it's great it's a great song it's a very beautiful song track six beautiful beautiful isn't she beautiful paid to be beautiful when i see Thank you for that segue, Chris. I mean, I know I'm the one taking the lead on this this episode, but thanks for uh, thanks for pinch hitting there for me there. Man, I thought you were. I thought it was going to be a thing where you're like, beautiful. That's the name of our next song. Oh, it's funny you should say that. Man, yet again, need to work on my yes hands. This is going to be one of those cutting room floor arguments now. Yeah. Ephraim got very upset yep. with me. <laughs> so, uh, uh, they they've dipped back into the jazz and the R&B, and normally I love that, but I'm not digging the jazz this time. This is this song's a little boring to me. Really? Oh, man. Like, especially back-to-back -back with Down to Earth, and also that, like, they're about kind of similar things about surface beauty yeah. and stuff. I don't know. Eh. Thematically, that's true. It's kind of sad, because this is kind of a differing opinion here now, because this was going to be the next chapter in my Kevin Hearn appreciation station. The piano in this is so gorgeous. It reminds me a little bit based on, I guess... Probably just the piano and just the arrangement of their rendition of Lovers in a Dangerous Time, which is probably one of my favorite Bare Naked Ladies tracks. Mm. And I think you are right. I think it suffers from the placement in the album right after Down to Earth because, yeah, it's true, actually, now that I think about the sequencing, because you've got such a memorable, upbeat song about physical beauty and idealization, and then you go into more of like a retrospective yeah jazzy one so not my favorite song on the album but i do i do like it a lot and again it's just because of what kevin's bringing to the table yeah I, yeah no it's it's interesting and it's a bit different than a lot of the stuff they'd been doing recently it just just doesn't pop out at me and like if we're thinking of it as a jazz track it feels like like, like it feels like they're like the house band of a hotel bar that just wants to like finish their set and go home. Is that Kevin Hearn and the Thin Buckles? It's like, hey, Kevin, what do you do when you're not touring? Well, come to Casino Rama. I'll be playing in the oh, lobby. No. <laughs> I love how it's such a Canadian insult. We're playing at Casino Rama. Oh no. Hey, I've okay. I've never seen any shows at Rama, but my parents, because of course they're the target market for all the shows at Casino Rama. <laughs> they have told me they have seen many great shows at Casino Rama. Apparently, that's a great venue. Oh. I feel like it's trying to be our Las Vegas and it's like, would you like a residency at Casino Rama? Would you like a residency at Caesars Palace? One of those sounds better than the other. 
I do like Steve's backup vocals on this one. Mm-hmm. And you're right. The keys are really, really good. And Ed's like rap bridge spitting is pretty fun. Yeah. Like that, like really like low key. Like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just a bit hit or miss and kind of take it or leave it for me. Yeah. I don't know. Especially because, I mean, there's just so many tracks between these two CDs. It's not like they were like running out of space or anything like that. Or running out of ink. Yeah, I'll give it to you. You got you got on base. Wasn't a home run, but you got on base. They can't all be home runs. Bruce Springsteen and his E Street Band are very very proud of you. Well, they did give me this uniform from, their, yeah. uh, from that baseball team. Running out of ink feels very very classic Stephen Page to me. How so? Like, like it feels very very manic, and it does feel very personal. The song is about a songwriter who feels like they've run out of ideas. Yeah. And are desperately trying to hold on to some kind of a claim that they have had or. A conception of themselves in the past yeah it just feels like I, I feel like a lot of steve's songwriting especially when we like we, as much as we make jokes about sad boy page i feel like sad boy page usually comes from like a place of authenticity like it usually is like steve kind of sharing <laughs> some of his real emotions and as funny as this song is it does feel like it's steve kind of like trying to work through some stuff it's the word manic I think you hit the nail on the head because the way that he yeah. sings it, it feels it, you get it's weird. I had a stressful reaction to listening to this song, actually, because oh, I really? kind of felt. Yeah. Oh, I, I huh. felt because as soon as you just kind of put it into words, it does have a manic feel. I tend to agree with you about the meaning. I do sway between is this a meta song about writer's block? As you said, you know, is it Steve mm-hmm. just kind of going, ah, or is it about a man struggling to write a song that will satisfy his lover? I think it's funny because it kind of switches for me every time. I listen to it because there are times where it sounds like he's writing these ballads and he's trying to convince someone but then in the middle it's like oh I'm running out of ink but I can also interpret it as because every beginning of a verse is a bit different so it's almost like he's trying to tell a story and then it gets to the chorus he's like oh, I'm, I'm abandoning this song now I'm running out of ink so yeah it's very interesting oh that's cool I hadn't noticed that that kind of formality in the verses until you point that out that's really really cool see the things I bring to this podcast when I'm not hungover <laughs> I should try not being hungover all the time what a concept. But the problem is, though, Chris, party time necessity. What are you going to do? I did kind of find it interesting that in one of the later verses, the sequence with the lines, I used to hold you close. You used to tell me things you never told a soul until you heard me sing. The details of your life condensed into a song. Mm. The neighbor and his wife work out and sing along and you can't look at me. It's a really well written and really concise way of telling that story beat. But at the same time, I think it's the same story beat that they've already used on In the Car and Testing 123. Because they also had that same thing about like an ex or a current partner recognizing like a reference to them in a song. Yeah, true. Even though I really like that verse, I feel it's I feel it's kind of weird that they're doing the same story beat for the third time. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. The song also feels a little bit foreboding with Steve's imminent departure from the band. Yes, very much so. I was thinking that as well. It's, you know, he's... <laughs> He's running out of ideas and the band sympathizes. Oh, Steve, why didn't you say so? Get out. Yeah. Like, I feel like if they're doing like a folk rock musical of like the story of the band using their songs, this would be like the soliloquy song that Steve is singing right before the moment he leaves the band or something. Oh, so true. Now I want us to side project just create that create that musical uh, and we can get josh from fratwurst to play Stephen page in the workshop version we can add some <laughs> sweet recorder solos because i know a guy who plays professional recorder track eight is the next track track eight of 16 oh this album is so long if they had half a heart they would cut some tracks from this album to make this episode shorter <laughs> track eight half a heart anyone with half a I 
I don't, I don't hate this. This feels like a really classic, like, acoustic Ed Robertson song. This is in that kind of, like, country banger wheelhouse that, that does it for me. Yeah. This reminds me a lot of When I Fall. Only a couple of the mm. lyrics, just in terms of, you know, it's someone lamenting about what would happen if they suffer a perilous fate. So you've got a window washer in When I Fall. You know, what would happen? Would someone catch me if I fell? Whereas this one is, you know, would someone with half a heart, would they drag me up? Would they pull me out? Both characters, in my opinion, are having a crisis of faith to an extent. But mm. at the same time, while the window washer was just washing windows and staring into boardrooms, it sounds like this person is having a very high profile affair. That's the way that I kind of looked at the lyrics. What about Oh, you? having a high profile affair? Just in terms of they're talking about blinded by flashing lights, which sounds like kind of paparazzi bulbs going off. This, he talks about the news at the beginning. I'm cowering in the corner. So the way that I'm interpreting the lyrics is that it's someone who is famous and gets caught with someone who's not their partner. And that's why it's like, oh, anyone with half a heart, it's almost like they're reaching out and saying, you know, to the media, please don't do this. Like I'm dreaming drowning because I'm drowning because of my infidelity. I'm trying to cower. That, that's the way I, I look at it, where it's just some of those lyrics very much paint that picture of someone trying to escape the paparazzi when they're having this high profile affair. You know what? I feel like you've put like the last puzzle piece into my feelings on this song. Ooh. Like I find the, the, the lyrics of the song like pretty heartbreaking. Mm. Oh, heart. Eh. Yeah. And, I, and I really like the concept that comes back to in the chorus about, because the normal turn of phrase would be like, oh, if you had a half a heart, you would help me. But the the chorus is pointing out ah yes but they do have the other half of the heart that wouldn't mm, there we go yeah so it all kind of <laughs> and that's the in. one that's gonna let me fall and push push me down and i really really like that conceit but kind of some of the more narratively specific things in the song like the line about being caught on tape and the flashing lights were kind of bugging me because i didn't quite get where they fit in and i like your interpretation of it i think that makes a lot of sense two friends solving lyrics solving lyrical mysteries together if the story that you're seeing in the song is the correct interpretation then this isn't a concern at all but i was just thinking listening to the song that i hope this wasn't written in response to something that happened to ed in real life because he sounds really torn up yeah true like it sounds like a huge bummer i really hope this was not super inspired by anything in real life because if so it sounds like it sucked i would like to th so yeah i'd like to think it wouldn't just only because if it was caught in the media that was around the time like 2006 2007 that i was because i was commuting to ryerson for the first two years of my university and it was a long commute so I'd pick up like the daily paper every day and read it. Mm -hmm. And they had that very, you know, smutty tabloid celebrity page at the back that I was, I, I'm loath to admit I was hooked on. Uh, and I didn't remember, <laughs> I don't remember any mention of Ed Robertson and an affair. So you'd hope not, but you're right. It does sound, if, if this was something that did happen to him or even the insinuation of him having an affair, if he was out with, you know, a friend of his or whatever, that would very much suck. Yes. Yeah. Or like, even if it wasn't, yeah, because I, th I think an affair would, it is like a valid looking at the song, but if it's even just a more general like he did something stupid and embarrassed himself or or mm. someone he knows or something like that uh, like if even if it was inspired by a like an unrelated real life event i just hope it was because like again the emotions in the song are just seem so strong and crappy yeah that i just i just hope that nothing that terrible happened to him because that sounds like it sucks yeah very much so this is followed up by track nine maybe not maybe This is my second favorite song on this this album. This is in the same down-to-earth kind of territory for me when it comes to level of catchiness. Hmm. Down-to-earth and maybe not are definitely the things I would choose as the singles to release from this. Again, both being singles of my heart. Yeah, I really like the song as well. I like to think of this as one week, but the relationship has gotten even worse. Sequel song! Whereas like one week, it was very playful. You know, it's just that kind of like, oh, it's been one week, you know, they realize that they're going to get back together. Like they were having those little squabbles that were just like, OK, whatever. But now it's gotten much more serious where they're actually 
actually debating about whether we're going to break up or not. Also, Ed gets to sing instead of rapping, so that's cool. Mm, yeah. I also, this feels very Matchbox 20-esque. And I really like Matchbox 20, but it kind of has that same... I really like Matchbox 20 too, and I did not get that until you just said it. And now that you said it, I can't unhear it. Yeah, like full on. It... You're absolutely right. You're totally, totally right. I could very much see like Rob Thomas singing this song. I can't imagine Matchbox 20 using as many hand claps, though. True. <laughs> and that would make me sad because holy shit, the hand claps are so freaking catchy. Um, I love it. And also, like, the, I, I love the line, speaking of love, uh, maybe we should divvy up the things we've bought, but maybe not. Like, that is... Oh, so, yeah. Like, and and again, like, it, I think that they're getting back together, definitely. It is. It's just, like, it, it's gotten more extreme in terms of their fighting. It's like, okay, maybe not, maybe not this and that. And, like, you know, I feel like if anyone's been in a bad relationship or even, like, a really intense relationship sometimes your mind can go to those deepest darkest places and even if it sorts out you're kind of doing that weird analytical thing where you're like oh god like what, what's going to happen like do we have to this and that and, and you're thinking of the worst case scenario until your partner or yourself pulls you out and goes okay well maybe not so it's, it's a very relatable very real line it's almost like a throwaway but it just it really stuck out to me i agree with you completely and i feel definitely with like the musical tone of the song because it is so positive and upbeat and catchy yeah. and hooky despite the lyrics I think that that feeling in the music combined with the the fact that maybe not accent on not yeah is the title of the the title of the song uh yeah I think these crazy kids are gonna make it through yeah yeah I'm hoping so I think I think they're gonna stick with it I think they're gonna make it through those troubled times unlike the couple in the next song I can I will I do Yeah, my, my first note on this is, uh, again, the jazz is back, and I'm bored. <laughs> my first note on this is another shit relationship song, and what is going on? Are there wives listening to this album? Like, I don't understand. Well, it was only a couple of years later that Steve left the band after we were just talking about being caught doing embarrassing things in the tabloids. <laughs> True enough. Yeah, and at that point, he was he had was no longer with his, was with his wife and was seeing his girlfriend, who was a former fan, and that whole saga. Ugh. So, yeah, so I don't, yeah, which, I don't know. Which is funny because the style of the song reminds me of conventioneers from stunt it has a very similar feel to that i didn't yeah yeah just like the style of his singing and yeah that kind of jazzy that jazzy kind of background but whereas conventioneers i thought did it much better than this so yeah mm -hmm. oh also sorry conventioneers was off of maroon i'm a bad fan that's fine thank you <laughs> we issue corrections all the time even mid show Oh, oh, there's two other things I wanted to say about Maybe Not. That's a better song. I'm going to say those things because I don't have anything else to say about Again, I Will, I Do. I like that. I really like, I love the Good as Gold LeMay line. Oh, yeah. And this is less about the song. So I absolutely did not understand one of the lines of that song until I was looking up the lyrics this afternoon. Okay. And I was happy to find out that there was no way I was going to be able to figure out that lyric because it was in Dutch for no good reason. <laughs> there's there's that line right at the end where Ed, for some reason, says, Donder mar op, consider yourself told in Dutch. Because apparently donder mar op is like, uh, like it's like, fuck you in Dutch. Ooh. Or something. But I had never looked up the lyrics before. Whenever I'd sing along with this car, this song in the car, I always sang the lyric as, Do your moccasins yourself. Like, I did not understand the line at all. But it didn't bother me. Because the rest of the song was so strong. I like that. And the rest of the story was so clear. The second song of theirs, then, to feature the word fuck in it. Once, you know, in the uh, end of fuck yeah, and now in uh, a different language. Those crafty boys just sneaking in those expletives. Yep. Oh, I guess maybe that's why this wouldn't have been able to be a single Ooh. in Holland. <laughs> Sorry, Holland. <laughs> deprived of a bitchin' song. Too bad. But back to can I can I will I do. Yeah, I it's just there's just more of Steve being a jerk in the lyrics and I just it doesn't it just makes me sad. I don't like it. It's uh... I know you're running this uh, this episode, but I feel like that's the perfect way to end that that song. It's just more of Steve being a jerk. Let's move on. I don't I... Yeah, I, uh, uh, it's just it's just a bummer. But but maybe he was being a jerk because he was being pushed to the edge by all those angry people on his blog because they thought the band was being political. Wait till they get a load of this song, track 11, uh, Fun and Games. It was a gag, it was all for a laugh. 
So do you do you remember the Bush years? Oh, yes, I do. You know what? It's funny because they feel like, a, and I know that there were some horrible things that happened, but they yeah. almost seem like better times now since like we've just lived through the Trump administration. I, um, uh... But but yes, at, at the time of this release, it was probably the worst, like, you know, one of the worst presidencies that had hit America. And yeah, like you said, if people were upset about the politics on everything to everyone, Oh boy. Just you wait. Yeah, this song is biting and very funny and very satirical, and I like it a lot. And I think to this point is definitely their most overtly political song. 100%. Yeah, geez. Great use of the word genuflect in there as well. Yes, it's very much so. Yeah, that whole crescendoing circus music breakdown is really, really good, and they just, just slips genuflect in there. Makes me smile. I don't have a huge opinion of the song. It's good, but yeah, I was just struck by yeah how overtly political it was. And it does feel like it's a direct response to, I think you're right, it's a companion piece to angry people. And it's very much a, okay, well, we're not changing anything because here's a blatantly critical song about American politics. Yeah, like my eyes bugged out of my head when they got to verse four and the lines, there's no need to draft them. You could hear us laugh then. The poor and black all need the room and board. Yeah. Did I say that out loud? Like literally, legit, my eyes bugged out of my head. That is, uh, it's so on the nose and yet it's so, so biting. Yeah. 100%. Really good, really funny protest song. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we uh, really slow it down a bit on track 12, The New Sad. Everybody knows that happy is the new sad. So I am gonna go and imitate my old dad and never crack a smile again. I really like the new sad. It's it's a it's a happy song, but it's also, I mean, the notes about the horrors of aging. I guess as well. Like, I guess well, this is the thing. Here's the, it's I I put in my notes. I went, oh sweet, it's a song about a good relationship because you're growing old with someone. Oh no, she did. Oh, is that what it is? Well, when they talk oh. about well, the way I look at it is that yes, it, I don't think it's about the horrors of aging. It's like the new sad is. I think they're accepting that you are getting old, but yeah, but later on where it's everybody knows it's never getting better. Everything must go, and you will have to let her. Oh, you're totally right. It is about growing old, but it's also part of that is that I feel like you know now the protagonist is a widow, and it's it's a beautiful relationship. It's growing old, but it's like well, this is the new sad. I guess it's. I think it oh. is. Yeah, and the song ends with that repetition of goodbye 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 yeah so yeah i think yeah this is an old older person saying goodbye to their spouse and yeah that's really yeah wow i hadn't noticed that before thank you again chris no worries i feel like yeah. it's it, it's there's there's a lot of times that they actually tackle things in a more mature way in this album mm-hmm. and then that leads me to wonder if that's why they called this album our men like is it <laughs> army and our men but it's like are they are they actually saying hey guys we've grown up now we're men when it came out i always just thought there was no deeper meaning behind it other than the name of the band is that they're the ladies yeah and that no but in actual fact we are not ladies we are men i thought that was all that was going on with that title i do like that more metaphorical interpretation of it though yeah yeah but it, again it's like oh what a what a nice song about a relationship oh and now they're dead but i mean that's yeah. That is just, I don't think it's the, the, the terrors of growing old. I think it is, growing old is sad and you do lose people and you have to say goodbye, but I think it's it's positive in its acceptance of it. I guess, I guess, I don't, I, I guess what I meant by that when I said it was, it felt like the song was saying that like happiness becomes more and more rare mm. in old age. But okay. now that you've pointed out those lyrics about, no, this person has clearly just lost a spouse or something. I'm not sure I'm right with that particular interpretation. I think it's, yeah. Well, yeah. the beauty of art is that it's up to the interpreter. So I think that we can mm-hmm. both be right. Yeah. And isn't that nice? Musically, I really, really like the song. It's really, really pretty. And to me, both the guitar and the bird sound effect foley. Oh, yeah. In the middle of it sounds a lot like Blackbird. Okay. Yeah. Because like, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure there's like some weird bird song foley in the middle of Blackbird. And it also has that that kind of like like melodic picking yeah. Yeah, kind does, of actually. guitar to it. like that acoustic-y kind of thing to it. Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect song. So this slightly not quite perfect song having similar DNA, I think helps it. 
if you're going to lift something, you may as well lift it from the best. Exactly. We now move into the four-song quadrilogy of tracks I had not heard until two weeks ago, because again, I owned the enhanced Starbucks advanced release of this song and not the real album. Well, I'm curious to see what you think about these tracks then. Most of them I really, really like. The first one being track 13, Quality. Which is my least favorite of these four songs yeah. at the end of the record. They just released the, like, they had just worked on the theme to the Big Bang Theory, and this feels like, this feels very similar to that. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I've actually kind of put here, I feel like we can move on pretty quickly from this one, because I've just put, I like this song, but I have no idea what the meaning is. It's just very silly, and just kind of, it is uh, a throwaway song. Yeah, there's lots of just, like, throwing any word that ends in ology at the wall yeah. towards the end. It's kind of a, I do like that they brought Kevin really uh, high in the the mix and the backup vocals towards the end though mm -hmm. that like you could like specifically single out Kevin's voice in the backup towards the end I thought that was cool it's also good because I feel like it leads into the next song where he kind of he has lead vocals so yeah it's it's good in terms of like that transition oh yeah that's cool yeah it's just a uh, just a pretty good song about a guy who's really full of himself <laughs> that's all I got on this track yeah that's pretty much it <laughs> which then leads into a uh, much more interesting song track 14 another spin I had time to kill second Kevin Hearn lead vocal track. Kevin! It's also so good! Yeah, I really enjoy it. All of Kevin's leads on these two kind of weird double album, they're all great. Yeah. He's just knocking it right out of the park. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, very much so. The way I look at this is, is this the follow-up to another postcard? Like, is Kevin sending the postcards from Alaska? Is it just where he's like, I'm walking into a gift shop and I'm gonna send a card, but then he's like, I don't know where you are. I, I don't know what's going on. The whole narrative is like, he's walking around another spin, I'm gonna buy these cards. I imagine he's just sending them out blankly in the mail and that's why someone's like well someone keeps on giving me stationery filled with chimpanzees so in your theory kevin hearn the speaker of another spin mm -hmm. is the person sending the postcards to ed robertson the speaker of another postcard with chimpanzees yes that's extremely specific i'm not sure there's a lot of textual evidence but i like it and that is what I'm going to think of this as now. Nice. <laughs> You've won me over. You have absolutely won me over. Because I was going to say, I just think it's about a guy who just doesn't know where his ex, who he's still hung up on, lives now. And wants to reconnect with them, but can't because he doesn't know where they moved to. See, that's the thing. I think... And is bummed about it. I think it's both. I do think he is trying to send his ex these postcards. But he has no idea, so he's blindly sending them, which is why Ed Robertson's getting them. He's like, oh, I've got an admirer from overseas. But I have no idea who this person is. So I think it is both. So that Ed Robertson and another postcard with chimpanzees is not the target no. that Kevin is trying to hit. No. He's just an innocent bystander That's right. in the Starcross. Yes. I dig it. Yep. <laughs> Yep, I am all in. I am all in on this interpretation. That's fantastic. I love it. I love how you were like, oh, I don't see a lot of there. You're hanging by a thread, but I will jump on that thread with you. Hopefully it supports us both. <laughs> and hopefully that straw does not break the camel's back. I'm not sure I like the next... No, I do like the next track. It's just so different than a lot of other Bare Naked Ladies songs. Track 15 is not what the title indicates. Mm. What a letdown. Yeah, this song really hits it right out of the gate. Like those opening chords, like again, bring in this weird trippy Beatles-y kind of feel to it. And then immediately it becomes a Weezer song. <laughs> like, yeah, they're just all like you were talking about Matchbox 20 earlier, but like this sounds absolutely like a, like a rejected Weezer song of some kind. And holy shit, that guitar solo. Also, this song was featured in The Sims 2, the video game, which is kind of weird. What? Yeah, yeah, it was. I remember doing research for this album, a bunch of people when I was listening to this song and like the YouTube comments and also in lyric forums and things like that. A lot of people just went, ah, oh, who remembers The Sims 2? Yeah, Sims 2. This song was in The Sims 2. And I went, oh, interesting. 
interesting, which is just a fun little thing. Huh. In terms of the lyrics, I really like the feel of the song, exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. I'm just interpreting it as just almost kind of like take it outside from everything to everyone. I feel like it's about small town fights or small town pride. Just oh. kind of like, again, that's a very loose interpretation. You know, I'm not going to get into it at the beginning. You know, I'm, I'm crossing the street to kind of like avoid these things. And then he talks about the town. I'm like, oh, maybe it's just being in a small town. Either you having the pride for that and you don't want to hear people shit on your town or the opposite where it's someone visiting and they feel ostracized. Yeah, I buy it because I, I kind of didn't really see that much of an in into the song lyrically. I didn't really even have that much of an interpretation other than it seemingly being just kind of about to be about a disappointment of some kind yeah. or a dissatisfaction with your current life situation. I like the specificity that your interpretation brings to it. I also buy it. Nice. Perfect. Yeah. I feel, Amazing. I feel like you're only being easily swayed because you've only heard these songs for like two weeks and you're like, you know what? The, the years haven't been able to form an opinion and now it's like, you know what? I will. I'll jump on board. But I already do have some pretty strong opinions. Again, when we get to the Ephraim Ellis mix of Bare Naked Ladies are me men. <laughs> me men. I, I want to get into it at the end of the episode because I still think that this would be a really, really good album if it was one album rather than two albums released six months apart. I also got a little bit worried about my own mortality when Ed mentioned to you him being 32 in this song, but it turns out, no, he was 37 when he wrote this song, so it was just for the rhyme, never mind. The Bare Naked Ladies oh, are not God. a lot younger than I thought that they were. And by, by extension, me being significantly older than I thought. The final track on this odyssey we have gone on <laughs> is track 16, Why Say Anything Nice. I love this song. I really, really love this song. I feel like Steve is on the top of his game vocals-wise on this track. Yeah, it's kind of like a swan song when you think about it. The last song on the album, the last song on a studio album to feature to feature Steve. So it's cool that he goes out on a high note. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, you're absolutely right. But again, what a way to go out. Like that's... I, I yeah. agree because I think this song's amazing. Tyler co-wrote this song. When's the last time that happened? Which is pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah, and the arrangement is just really, really cool. There's like really strong horns and strings. And like mm-hmm. not just Jim on the upright bass. There's like a whole like string section in this song. Yep. And it's, re- yeah, it's great. It's a fantastic song. I really do enjoy it. Again, maybe a song about a shitty relationship or just shitty behavior, really. I think it is just about, you know, the silent treatment. I put here, which is kind of sad, just like, oh, it's a window to my childhood home because I I look at it now, like my folks were quite bad at not speaking to each other when things were wrong. And I think that they thought that that was better in terms of like, oh, well, you know, at least we're not yelling and screaming. We're just avoiding each other. And I'm like, oh, that makes things 10 times worse. So Hmm. I think that now I'm trying to not do that in my personal life in terms of, because I think you learn how to fight from your parents. Hmm. And, you know, the natural inclination is to kind of go into that sound treatment. So this song's quite, this song's quite personal to me. And I really enjoy it. So, and I think you're right. It's funny because one of the strongest songs on the album is the final song. So kind of thematic tie between army and our men Mm -hmm. yeah that's true because they ended the last record with wind it up which was also one of the stronger singly kind of songs and then they end with this which is i think also one of the stronger singly kind of songs definitely yeah and that's bare naked ladies are men sweet yeah now ephraim we've talked about bare naked ladies are men we've been leading up to this Mm -hmm. to the entire thing now i want to hear the ephraim ellis cut not since the Zack snyder cut of justice league has there been more fan anticipation for a project I want to know. Guys, prepare yourselves. Build this playlist. Maybe I'll put it on Spotify or something like that. I I think this is a really good record, guys. Maybe we'll release it on HBO Max. (laughs) Paramount Plus? So, Our Me and Our Men combined are a double album or two regular albums released six months apart that are 29 tracks in total, all written and recorded around the same time. They're all from the same sessions. Yep. And I think would be a much better record if it was one record and not two. And this is the record I think they should have released. Track one, Wind It Up. I'm with you so far. Track two, Why Say Anything Nice. Oh. Lead off with the, again, really hit that. John Darneal, front load, your first four tracks, they're the most important. Track three, Serendipity. 
Okay. Give Kevin a nice little spotlighter off the top. Similar to our me, track four, Sound of Your Voice. Okay. Because again, I think it's really, really singly and has that like kind of like, again, sounds like a Queen song kind of thing. Yeah. After those first four single type tracks, slow it down, track five with some narrative specificity with Bank, Bank Job. Bank Job, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I'm not quite sure about this placement. Mm, I might have to, uh, I might have to edit. Uh, track six, What a Let Down. Okay. Yeah, like just boost the energy back up and then bring it back down down again for track seven half a heart right leading into the next track which is the same placement it did have on men track eight maybe not track nine peterborough and the Quarthas. track 10 again loading another single on the uh on side b down to earth right slow it down again with a drift and vanishing as tracks 11 and 12 okay and then quickly ramp things back up again with the last three tracks track 13 another spin track 14 bull in a china shop and and finally as track 15 put the most emotionally resonant track as the very last track to lead it out uh and have take it back be the final track Oh, that's such a good closer, actually. And that leads it to 15 of 29 tracks, and it comes in at 56 minutes and 13 seconds, which is, like, to me, that's a long album, but both of these were long albums to start off with. Where the hell were you at the Glenn Gould studio when they were backstage and they're like, 29 tracks is too long. We need to tone this down. We need to trim it down. Where were you? Because that is... Self-editing is important. It is. It's never something we did in our sketch comedy, but now as imaginary record producers, it's something that we can do on a podcast. Sketch comedy is a thing of the past. We're going to do theoretical album editing now. It's like fantasy baseball, except even nerdier somehow. (laughs) Holy shit, a very specific fantasy baseball camp. And you could call your team Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, your fantasy album camp name. So, folks, build that playlist yourselves or check out the version of it. I'll, I, no, I'm going to put it on Spotify. I'm going to put it on Spotify. Check out that playlist I put on Spotify and let us know on Twitter uh, or in the comments what you think of my version of Bare Naked Ladies Are Me Men. That being said, right now, our thoughts, final thoughts on the real record, Bare Naked Ladies Are Men. What do you think about this one, Chris? Where do you think it falls in the discography? Uh, in the top 10, definitely for me, which is something I wouldn't have okay. thought yep. even a couple of weeks ago. But re-listening to this album, I really like it. Mm-hmm. And it might just be because it is such a palate cleanser from Army. But my thoughts, it's unfortunate because it is still the best part of a failed experiment to me exactly what you said yeah. i think just the exercise that we just did where you released or you revealed your perfect album out of these sessions makes a lot more sense because yeah it, it's it's hard because of the weird structure that this has but i'd definitely say top 10 more positive thoughts than i thought i'd have and it's a really important album because it is again the last album that's gonna have Stephen page on it at least at least studio album so or that oh that poor plot twist we've been foreshadowing this entire series gonna have to really dig into that one so historically it's important i think it would yeah much better what about your thoughts similarly but also i just wanted to uh i I just realized i should point out because i feel like it speaks to the upcoming plot twist of steve leaving the band before the next Mm. album my version of this double album that i just read out there's only three steve tracks Mm. it's like a it's like a reverse stunt (laughs) a reverse stunt i like that yeah well because there's only three ed tracks on stunt and they were some of the big singles and i feel like on my version the singles would be why say anything nice and sound of your voice right yeah that's two of the like three singles and they're the two of the three steve tracks that i put on it i feel like kind of the opposite of my opinion from everything to everyone track by track this record is really really strong but i feel like at the end of the day it is less than the sum of its parts yeah i could see that it doesn't gel to me as a record and i think that has a lot to do with the fact that it is the second half of a weird bloated double album do you feel that not to put you on the spot but do you feel had you not known the history of this album in terms of the recording all of that other stuff do you think you'd still feel the same way or do you go into this album listening to it knowing that it is not the leftover tracks but the fact that it's just kind of almost b-sides to an extent i feel like my ear palette is able to discern enough that if i hadn't known that history i would be able to recognize that me and men have a very similar sound but yeah i'm not sure how much that would affect 
affect my opinion. Yeah, I don't know. I have never heard the term ear palette before, and now I want that to be the name of our band. Ear palette. First released seven inch single, side A. Singles of my heart. Singles of my heart. Side B, one week since Bare Naked Ladies Army. We sold three copies. <laughs> or maybe we'll sell some t shirts with some fake album art on it. Let us know in the comments. Would you buy that t shirt? Would you buy a very specific fake album or a generic fake t shirt? Along with our other first podcast, our first podcast t shirt, Sweet Bows, our other, our other catchphrase. But yeah, so. So I feel like this is, I feel like this is hovering around, maybe you should drive. Oh. But so is Bare Naked Ladies Are Me. Okay. Those are kind of hovering in the bottom of the list so far, but we've got a bunch of other, we got a bunch of other releases to go through that I got to slot in. And I have a feeling that even though maybe Our Men is like in my bottom three right now, I think they're going to rise up on that list. Okay. Well, that's a stay tuned. When we look at some other when we look at some other records. That was very it's very good foreshadowing, Ephraim, and that's a very good dramatic hook to get people to listen to the coming episodes. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we will be back in a couple weeks with the first post Stephen Page Bare Naked Ladies album, All in Good Time. I'm really excited to talk about that one. I really like that record. Mm-hmm. But in between episodes, Chris Small, where can uh, our listeners find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on the internet in all sorts of cool places, particularly on Instagram at C Small Traveler. You can also find me on Twitter at C Small 201. You can also follow the official official clothed men discuss bare naked ladies twitter at cmdbnl give us a follow give us a uh, a retweet for some of the stuff that we retweet and also some of our original thoughts ephraim how about you uh and i'm ephraim ellis and you can find me on instagram at ephraim ellis and not really anywhere else on the internet right now and i'm feeling pretty good about that but yeah but give me a follow give the pods twitter a follow give us a follow on any of your favorite podcasting platforms and tune in in the next couple of weeks we'll be looking at all in good time and we'll see you all then and until then we We have been clothed the whole time nice see you later everybody